What you're about to hear is a conversation I had with uh, three educators. We had Melissa, who is a who teaches at Mount Hood Community College here uh, in Portland. Uh, my sister Beth, who teaches in Raleigh at a middle school, and a friend of the show Derek Varn, who who teaches at a high school out uh, around uh, Salt Lake City. I wanted to bring them on because I was. This is kind of a follow up to our previous show about uh, teaching <laughs> teaching under quarantine, where I had uh, I'd put that one out, and some people had expressed uh, a lot of good responses to it, and. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to extend that to talking to, uh, you know, a show about not only from the educator experience, but also we, in this episode, we get into some, we even get into like some, like, you know, educational theory too, and uh, the commentary as to, you know, life as, um, how, uh, you know, how like tech literacy rates and how like, you know, executive functions have kind of declined over years, like, you know, on a global scale, in fact. If you enjoy the show, please find, uh, you know, do this, do us the usual uh, benefit of finding us on iTunes, giving, you know, kind of uh, uh, rate and review because the algorithm likes that and doing that will uh, will let more people find that. If you want to help us make the show because it's, uh, we're heading into some rough times and you know it's like even like as much of a dollar a month can help uh, you can go to patreon.com slash giving the mic um, questions comments and tips for finding good Korean places around Portland to go you can uh, email giving the mic at gmail.com Twitter we're at giving the mic dot, uh, giving the mic you know one word all lowercase mic uh, yeah that's about it once again uh, thanks for tuning in and yeah this is the show I guess introduce every y'all to each other. Uh, Beth is my sister. Who's, who's uh, Beth? You're teaching what? Like hi, like middle school history out in Raleigh. Yes, I teach seventh grade. Okay, uh, Derek, who I, who uh, for the for you don't know who I've uh, had on my show a couple times and met through the various and um, you know left pod ch- channels and whatnot. Derek, you're, well, you're you're teaching like what senior high now or? I teach. Uh... 10th and 11th graders next year i'll teach 12th graders again um english ap co-taught um language services ell gotcha and uh melissa everybody i've known through uh, known through portland dsa who i think you were what you were co-chair of the uh of like portland dsa for bernie i believe in a couple of and right now too i was active in the campaign i was yeah um but yeah, professionally, I work at uh, Mountain Community College, which is uh, in the eastern suburb of Portland, Oregon. Um, and I work with adult uh, immigrant and refugee students. I'm an ESL teacher. Okay. So we do both credit and non-credit. Um, so yeah, um, lower level students getting basic language skills, higher level students uh, getting ready for college. Excellent. And so, like, what I've been doing, I think this is, like, the second one of these, um, about, 
I think in like in like either early April or very late March, uh, I um, within you know a couple of weeks after a, a lockdown hit, I had the idea of of talking to either um, both my friend Amy, who is a an adjunct. In doing uh, teaching like some university studies courses at at Portland State, and also uh, Ben Burgess, who's teaching who's teaching I think a lot of like some intro logic classes uh, down at Georgia State, and just talking to them about because uh, I was kind of curious of like what it's like you know teaching college students under lockdown, and they just kind of you know because they, they were you know still active in the term and everything kind of got slammed over, and so I figured you know it's been uh, some time that I wanted to do a follow up. Talking to folks who had to do like more of a uh, folks who have done more, um, you know, much more like grade school and everything, and kind of like else, uh, else during the gamut. I guess wanted what I wanted to just kind of you know uh, bring you on to just do a uh, <laughs> we're going to do a survey course now, just to kind of like uh, talk to each of you about what it's been like to have to, um, I guess both like teach students during this. But um, and kind of ways that it's use this as a opening topic of you know like how, how you know kind of like how things have got started and how you had to adjust um, your own you know either your particular style or what what you've had to to to, uh, to uh, you know how you've had to get across the material to your, your kids during this stuff and also. Um, <laughs> Is it been just completely bad or just mostly bad? And like, are, are there are there's like are there any po- have there been like any? Do you think there's any positive uh, any positive things we have learned from this experience so far? And uh, and then we just kind of expand from there. If also if you have like any ide- ideas about you know if, if you like because like Dirk, I think you wanted to you know maybe expand a little bit more onto like other you know current problems in education and stuff like that too. Or whatever sure. you felt, whatever you felt like, because I think that you, um, all three of you have much, um, you know, wide view of experiences and histories dealing with this stuff. And um, what I've learned so far is, it's usually a pretty, you know, uh, get some folks together uh, uh, to talk about the stuff, then uh, you know, wind it, you know, kind of. Uh, uh, wind up the uh, wind up that dialectic and then uh, let her rip. Okay, uh, who would like to go first? Uh, I can go if you want. Um, so timeline, um, we uh, basically it became pretty obvious during finals week of winter term, so the second week of March, um, that we were going to have to go online. Um, I think some of us figured it out a lot sooner than others. Um, and even the governor was really slow here to actually shut down the colleges. Um, so we had, uh, we had, let's see, we had spring break, mm. uh, spring spring break, um, and then we started, and we were supposed to start the next week, um, but that we used that week for like planning and just generally getting our act together to teach online. Most of us had not done any online teaching at all um, or had any experience as online students, um, and there was, a, there was a lot of panic in my department. Um, so we started teaching online April 6th, and um yeah, that's the, and so we're coming up on the end now. Next week is our last week for our um, non-credit students, and then we have one more week with our credit students. 
Um, so that's kind of been the timeline. We'll be online this summer as well. Um, nobody wants to make any guesses about fall, so we don't know yet. I mean, I have guesses. I, I think we're going to start uh, in the classroom and then end up back uh, online again. That is my supposition before the end of fall term. So uh, does that answer your question in terms of timeline? Yeah, I guess so. I was to say, yeah, isn't it? Wasn't there? Wasn't there the like the news bits today about what that um, what like in South Korea they had they you know they they opened up the schools back up and then had to slam back down again? Or did anybody else see this? Yeah, I think that's yeah. happened in a number of places. And of course, um, where I teach, you know, in East Multnomah County, I mean, that's that's where cases are still rising, right? So we have outbreaks at um, a bunch of like dairy farms and processing places, um, and that's. That's really close to my college and my student community, um, and and also um, I, as an adjunct instructor at my college, I don't have health coverage, so there's that whole piece about can you can you bring people back on campus when you don't provide them health coverage? Like that's yeah, that's its own interesting question. Um, so yeah, that's where we are right now. Gotcha, um, Derek or Beth, do you want to go? Um, sure, I can go. So we are, my last day was March 13th, and then we basically had two weeks of kind of posting to our website what was, you know, like general things that kids could do because they didn't have any idea of what was going on. And so then we had a spring break, um, and then we started the second week, I guess, fully with assignments in April. And then we still have two more weeks left of school where we're posting things. Um, but cases by me are pretty low. The reason why they closed school was because there was one case of a teacher, because um, we're countywide for our school. I was gonna say, what kind of can in, you can in, you in uh, Raleigh? We have countywide, and so we're the biggest county in the state. Right. Um, and so at one of the elementary schools that's kind of a town over in the county, somebody had tested positive for it. They had been in New York like two weeks before. And mm -hmm. so once they found that out on Friday, then they shut everybody down. So, yeah. um, so it's definitely interesting. I've taught, I teach online um, classes as a second job. So my, I have high school special ed classes that I teach where I it's all online and I set it up at night and then during the day they're with a special ed teacher who isn't certified in history um, so I'm used to doing all of that online and in the school year half of the work that I do is posted online where they submit it online just because it's easier if they you know have they record themselves or do partner work it's just easier to do it in Google Classroom so for me, it wasn't really a shock because it was just kind of normal. Just, well, now it's all online instead of me seeing them every day. Gotcha. So, yeah, we still have two more weeks, but the work has steadily dropped off in the last three weeks for sure. And uh, what kind of, and what can you, uh, Beth, can you just describe like what kind of school are you teaching at? Um, so my school, I'm at a middle school in an affluent area. Um, it's a pretty big school. So for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, we have a thousand kids for just those three grades, which is pretty big. Um, I would say we're in like the 20% or less of kind of free and reduced lunch. Um, hmm. 
we're in an area that used to be horse farms and now is getting bigger and bigger and huge homes being built, new schools being built. So every two years they build a couple of new schools and then um, half, not a half, there's a good amount of year-round schools by me too. And year-round schools are different by me because they have four tracks of kids that come in and out. So there's always multiple tracks of kids coming in Mm -hmm. because the county got so big, they just didn't have enough schools. So year-round is a big problem right now because they're supposed to be in school. um, And the problem is they didn't know when to start them up again, when to stop them. So they're basically going to be our testers. They're going to start the 1st of August. Oh, boy. And then they are starting us actually a week earlier than normal. So we're going to start, we're supposed to start August 15th-ish, somewhere around there. So we're starting a week earlier, and year-round is starting the 1st of August. So I guess they're kind of our testers and see. Gotcha. All right, thanks. Uh Derek, uh, uh, do you want to, and, uh, and in your turn, Derek. <laughs> so I work at a, um, public high school and, um, in exurban Salt Lake, um, in a place called West Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, we would be a title one school. Um, we are not because no Utah high school that I know of is a title one school, for reasons of having to deal with federal compliance. Mm. Um, We're one of those states. Mm. Um, If we were a Confederate state, we would be be out of line with the Civil Rights Act, but we are not a Confederate state, so so those rules do not apply to us. Having started teaching in a former Confederate state, they actually know that they follow federal guidelines much much more strictly than they do out here. Um, So I teach a population that is about 44% um, of color um, and about 47% non-English speaking at home. Um, Before that, I taught at an international um, charter school. And and for the 10 years before that, I was either a professor or a... uh, or I taught at international school. So I have a pretty wide range of experience. And I began teaching in a similarly ex, um, like ex-suburban area outside of Macon, Georgia. Mm. And, uh, yeah. Slight, con- <laughs> slight contrast. Now they're Southerners, so, yeah, you know. Um, yeah. In 2007, um, which is now a Title I school um, as well. So yeah, that's the population I serve. We... We started. We shut our doors actually fairly early for a conservative state. Oh yeah, because the because the because a couple of the jazz players got uh, got tested, wasn't it? Right. So yeah, although they tried to keep the schools open for about a week after like putting restrictions down, they tried to do that New York thing, but then they realized pretty quickly after two schools had to shut their doors for COVID exposures just entirely hmm. that they couldn't maintain that. Um, my uh, my ex-wife, who's also a, a school teacher in the area, was under lock was under mandatory quarantine because they didn't because her entire school was exposed and they didn't have tests at the time. Oh this boy. is in wow. this is in late March to test them all, so they just put them in quarantine for two for two weeks. Um, Utah actually is pretty doing pretty well on testing. However, theoretically, we could open the schools now, but the governor isn't. And when I say we can open the schools now, is we have a you know, red, orange, yellow code system. 
Mm-hmm. And we're technically, except for downtown Salt Lake, in yellow, meaning schools can be open with social distancing practices. Of course, no one knows how to do that, particularly <laughs> because I also work in the state that has um, the lowest spending per, per pupil of any state in the country. Now, there are complicated reasons for that, having to do with kind of large Mormon family size versus property tax. Um, I was going to say, more so than like Mississippi? Jeez. Yeah, no, we we are... It's not because of poverty. It's because of it's because family size ratio. But we spend less than Mississippi. Hmm. Now our teachers do get paid slight. We're not the lowest paid teachers. We we cut corners in other ways, although we're we are pretty close to the lowest paid in the region. Um, but we are we are a unionized state. It's not like Georgia where public unions are illegal. So so we have a little bit more power here. Um, so I was the week before. The jazz player got sick. I remember sitting in the in the faculty room and half and, and we're not talking about conservatives here either. About half the department was like, "Oh, this is not going to be a big deal. I don't know what the big deal is." Um, luckily, I am on the blended learning team, um, and I have experience with with blended learning education. I also have training in online education, although I don't do it because I don't believe it's efficacious in secondary and primary schools. Except in very rare circumstances. Um, well, can you real quick? Can you can you can you explain blended? So blended is where you you can reduce seat time um, by having a lot of stuff put online, and you move away from constantly requiring in person, like non physical. You know, mm, okay. it's basically using technological supplements and making class class seat time a little bit more flexible. Gotcha. In Utah, we have a we also have very lax. Um, like lax attendance rules we basically the it was a weird confluence of of conservative i don't like government regulation and progressive we don't want to publish uh punish poor parents that led to us throwing out all our pretty much throwing out our truancy laws like all together it's an interesting um, contrast to say california right um and so like we we have pretty high truancy rates uh, so one of the things that i that i like i have classes of 40 but i often only ever see 26 or 27 of them at the time so we were piloting a blended learning um project to kind of adjust for that so i was ready when we went into this in fact i had to i was told to cut my curriculum down because of the stressors from covid hmm. um um so as far as that meets my teaching goes it took me a while to th- it, it was very strange because at first the workload was more than what I was doing ever. Um, you know, I remember putting in like for the first two weeks, some days were 12, 13 hour days. Jeez. Um, but after that, it's been very minimal. Um, one is because my, we have such large classes. I teach so many different sections of things and we had to schedule out blocks for zoom classes in the high school courses. I only get an hour twice a week to conference with all of my students and i have like 220 or something so i do it in shifts and because it's not required i sometimes have no students show up for this or you know on a good day about six so out of 220 or something i'll say um, um beth melissa how does uh does does that accord with the with either your experience too in terms of like i guess you could call it attendance or I don't know what's the what's the what's not compliance. What would be what's what would be the word for uh, for follow through for you know for students actually showing up to something like this? I can't anyway. I can't think of it. But attendance is like yeah, is I guess a good so. One. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, it's a good word. And what, I mean, I have much, 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 much smaller classes because um, my students, most of my students are relatively recent immigrants. Um, sometimes they're folks that have been here for a while, but usually, um, you know, they're either relatively recent arrivals um, or they are high school graduates who, um, came to the United States maybe like middle school age and so basically they graduated high school but without strong enough English skills for college mm. if that makes sense so anyway my point is in terms of our um, our student population our enrollment uh, the last three years <laughs> the last three years have not seen a whole lot of immigrants and refugees uh, being allowed into this country um, and a whole bunch being pushed out so our enrollments pretty low um, but for the students that we do have, I mean, I would say it took a couple weeks, um, especially for our, our non-credit ESL students to sort, um, you know, sort out the, the logistics of learning online. Um, but I would say after the first two weeks, things were stable and the students who could do it have been, they've been showing up um, consistently. And then of course our credit classes, you know, they, they pay money for those classes. So, yeah. so they tend to show up. Uh, people don't, don't tend to get some of those. So right. the only thing that's been a real challenge um, that I've seen um, is work because of course, you know, so many people have been out of work. Many of my students are not eligible for any kind of unemployment or stimulus checks or any of that kind of thing. So, so basically when Amazon says they're hiring, they go, yeah. you know, that's, that's how we lose them. But overall, once, once they've been able to sort of sort out the tough pieces, like, you know, finding a computer, which, uh, the college was able to help with that, but not early enough. Um, and so we lost students before the term started because they didn't have the equipment that they needed. And we, our college did not have it together to provide it to them. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, and it took us all a while to get into a rhythm, but I think it's, you know, they're sticking with it now. Okay, cool. I would say I I can meet with my kids. I, if I wanted to have kind of office hours with my kids online, I could do that every day. Because um, everything we have to do is through Google Meets. Uh, but on Fridays, the entire school has office hours. So like this morning from 8.30 to 10.30, because I have four cores, um, just kind of get online for half hour increments and I just tell them, you know, if you want to say hi, if you want to just check in, if you have a question. Um, and I only get two, three, sometimes kids a class. My, my last class, my fourth core, I don't usually get any. And my my morning class that starts at 830, you get maybe one kid. And so one of the math teachers and I just paired up so that we would have more kids. So we would do our meets together. And most teachers are now doing like a Kahoot or just some type of fun trivia game um, so that the kids can meet with them online. They can see them. Um, but doing work, I would say I have about 80% of my kids that turn in the work every week. Um, this week, I probably have 50% because once you hit Memorial Day weekend and the beaches are open up, so all the Outer Banks are open now. Oh, boy. Um, so now that the Outer Banks are open... Um, a lot of my students have either a lake house or they have a house at the beach. So a lot of them are gone now. Um, and they're either going for the week or they're going for a long weekend. So the schoolwork is definitely dropping off. Like I saw a significant um, drop this week from before. And it's usually most of the kids, because uh, I had a really 
good group of kids this year. Most of them do the work. The kids that aren't doing the work are probably my really high level boys that are not doing work that I message um, through Google or I shoot them an email and say, hey, don't forget about social studies kind of thing. Um, But it's really the kids that if they didn't do work in class, they're probably not doing it through Google. Um, you know, a couple of my kids, we had a, we do a journal every week saying their isolation situation. And a lot of it is, how are you feeling about it? And a lot of the surprising number of my kids are like, I love it. I love doing online classes because I can get up. I can take care of my work. I can do like one subject a day if I want or mix it up. And a lot of those kids are just kids that struggle socially in middle school, which is kind of the worst age for kids socially. Um, Those are the kids that are loving it right now. But unfortunately, they're the ones that really need a lot of socialization just to kind of figure out who they are and who they mesh with. So, yeah, when I, when I was talking about my um, my attendance, that's different than the people who actually complete work. Okay, yeah. So I teach kind of three different um, different groups of students because I teach AP students, um, I teach honor students, and I teach um, regular students oh. in 10th and 11th grade. My honor students, I have probably 90% completion, uh, maybe a little higher. Now, my honor students are self-selected, and what, and unfortunately, in my school system, what that really means is compliance to school behavior. It is not, like, some of those kids are actually even below reading level, but um, parents can have them in the honors. My regular kids um, are, are um, about, about 60% ELL. And with that, I have about 60 to 7% work completion. Um, and there's a variety of reasons for that. Some of those kids are now co- are now working because their parents can't and because they are legal and their parents are not, they have more access to jobs. Um, some of it is that the their internet situation is a cell phone and even though we got them mm-hmm. a we got them a Chromebook, we didn't consistently get them internet. Now we have been we have been sending out buses with Wi-Fi access to certain neighborhoods, but I don't know how, like, the time frame doesn't always line up with these kids who are now working during the day. Um, uh, we've had, and I do a reflection journal as well, and I get polarized responses. About half the kids hate it. My AP kids really hate it. They are floundering. Um, and, you know, a lot of my regular egg kids really hate it. Um, and then I have a bunch of socially awkward kids who like it. And are doing well. Some of them are doing. I have seen kids improve during this time period. Yeah, um, definitely. The other thing is, I have. I am generally just trustful of of required synchronous education with online stuff. When I have to access kids' homes and stuff like that, I just I understand why they're what they don't want to do that. Yeah. So I have made a lot more. Like you know, I do YouTube posts for them, so it so they can see me, but not necessarily having to see them. Mm-hmm. The the online sessions are op- The online sessions where they interact with each other via an app through the service we use called Canvas is is optional which is why which is why it's so low um that said you know um we have reduced work because of pushback from parents because parents didn't really realize how much you do in person and through indirect um and scaffolded you know in class stuff and when you're farming it out to videos and and not in Mm -hmm. small groups it takes a lot more time funny Um, that yeah 
Yeah, we definitely have a lot less work. So we post on Monday, we do a video, we each take turns. So everybody in my grade level, there's three of us social studies teachers. Um, Each week we take a turn and we make a video. I always put the dogs in the video. Um, I make it so the kids can see like my purple wall behind me and all my crazy purses because that just it just makes them feel like they're around me more just because they know my kids know so much about me that I think it makes them feel good. So I do videos about going over what are we learning? You know, don't forget this. Um, and then we basically do a workbook page and, you know, they watch little videos, they watch, they fill out some questions, but it's also very hard when you're trying to, you have to complete World War II in basically one or two days, you know, to finish out the year. So the struggle is what do we cover? And we cover it from a European standpoint. So it's, it's hard. We, we try to pick the things that are going to interest the kids the most because if not, they're not going to do it because our kids aren't great um, this last quarter. And I know for oh, high yeah. school, it's different. They shifted um, did they shift everybody to like pass fail or something? Yes. So for high school, you had a choice. You can choose to get the pass fail or you could choose to have the actual grade. Um, and I was talking to one of our uh, high school teachers. One of uh, She does AP English and she said that her, a lot of her high kids that already had the 95, the 98, they were just like, okay, well, we're going to stick with that, you know, and they could basically choose to be done mid-month. Um, so our semester or our last quarter, quarter four, they, it's just a pass-fail. And so the kids could do zero work and it's not going to affect them. And so once the county put that out at the beginning of May, you could tell less kids were doing work. And we were getting feedback from parents saying, well, we know it doesn't affect anything. It doesn't affect our grade. You know, we're busy with work. You know, we're stressed out. So they're just not going to do it. And so our standpoint is that's your choice. You know, it's not going to affect their grade. And that's basically what we have to do. But they know they're not getting graded for it. Yeah. Our, Utah handled this on a on a district-by-district district approach. Um, and so... We have it if parents request a pass-fail that they will get a pass-fail grade. Mm. But we, and if they, if they fail, they get an I. If they don't make it up by the middle of next fall, they get an NC, not an F, which removes the, the grade from their, their grade equation, but they don't get the credit hours. Um, so it's a compromise position because we were afraid of the exact same thing you're describing. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. most teachers have been encouraged to have like like if you did anything at all, right? Um, we're going to bash you exactly. And so you know, <laughs> it's interesting that you had said that your ESL student your numbers are dropping because in my area, oh, they oh, oh, are real quick, up- what's what, what can we do a, a quick quick difference between the difference between ESL and ELL and what, Not, does that, what is that what does that what does that what does that work out to practically state le- that is just a state legislative nomenclature issue so it was okay. e- e- the, the, the the difference is ESL is English uh, as a second language and ELL is like we don't assume it's your second language it may be your third or fourth that's it oh okay and they're bo- they're both subcategories of ELD so, which is just English language development gotcha. for non-native okay. speakers. 
right? I don't think there's any other substantive differences. I always think of ELL as English language learners, as as the students, right? Correct. Um, whereas ESL is more like the, the general category of education. Um, but uh, it's a very jargony field anyway. We love this annoying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> change every other yeah. year. For sure. Yeah, we do all that. Um, yeah, our in Raleigh are like at my school alone. Our ESL position, we have a we get a, we've had a new ESL teacher every year for the past five to six years. Oh which my is goodness! Frustrating. Sure. Um, but it's also been part time for the last four to five years, and next year it's full time because our numbers are doubling uh-huh. we're getting we get um because i'm right in the center of all tech land you know uh, oh yeah research triangle so that's a huge part and then we also have a lot of families that are moving um from the country over like more city so Too interesting you, yeah because our county is so 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 big um and we do busing in our county still so you might live, you might be on a school bus where you pass three other middle schools to get to your middle school. So um, a lot, it just kind of depends on families and then more families kind of move over to be with that family. Um, but we get a lot of kids from the farms that are starting to move more city. So we, we have a kind of opposite trend here in Utah. We are also a tech a tech hub so we get some from we get some immigration from that however that's not the population i deal with i largely deal with people who are being pushed out of california mm. um, who have enough money to leave california but they come here they move to the west side of salt lake which would be like for west and uh east side in salt lake is can, can be equivalent to like south and north side anywhere else um and so they get pushed out though of the west side because it's gentrifying <laughs> rapidly west uh, former, so, say, uh, west egg and east egg right into former suburbs of that were like 90 percent white and mormon that are more like now 30 percent white and mormon um and so there's a major cultural shift and shock with this here this has happened mm. rapidly like it's um it's happened in about 10 years Mm. um so we like my school district is a mostly suburban school district with like these two like areas with like three middle schools and two high schools that are highly diversified and pretty much urban but it it also leads to some shenanigans where we force like all the additional resources into the poorer schools to keep the numbers looking good and stuff that again like i said earlier if we were under civil rights act purview would be illegal like you can't do that in north carolina um (laughs) so you know um it's just not a thing we do have busing too mostly for economic issues and the and distributing of funding that cut but it is not as extreme as i experienced in the south so um yeah. yeah, that's a big complaint for quite a few of our parents. Um, you know, they can't get to school because the bus doesn't come to school. And they have, and it's frustrating for them because they could, the bus could take them to two to three middle schools that they live by, but it's because the bus doesn't come as far out to our school. Um, but we do have a nice thing in our county is, you know, for kids that do live farther away, we have this thing called the activity bus. So it doesn't matter whatever's after school. It doesn't matter if you want to play a sport, 
you know, drama is very big with us. We have we have Dungeon and Dragons clubs. We have, you know, every type of club possible, robotics, everything. It doesn't matter where you live in the county. If you're at that school, there there's an activity bus that picks you up a little before five and will take you not maybe to your exact bus stop, but pretty close. So the one good thing they have done about busing is making sure that kids can stay after school to go to events and that it can participate even though they don't live nearby. Could have, would have been able to, could have used something like that at, at, at uh, middle school back in Flint. Because our middle school was, uh, was what? Far. It's just far enough for where you wouldn't walk. But yeah. it's, that's really one of, one of the things that surprised me the most when I moved down there because it is definitely different teaching, even teaching in Flint for three years then to move to Raleigh the, and in the school district I was at in Flint you know it consisted of basically three trailer parks and one neighborhood everything was so much better or an even and the pay every, it was just very different <laughs> it's very different to move from the north to the south we'll just say that gotcha I guess one qu- one question I didn't want to throw out is um, I think it's something, something about, um, have you seen any have with this extreme, you know, hyper mediated way and, uh, you know, <laughs> that was the thing of like, you know, funny how all of the, you know, the moral panic about screen time, whether that had any evidence to it or not, has kind of gotten, uh, it was kind of like, you know, just kind of like gotten pitched out. But I'm wondering if, if like this, like hyper mediated way of doing this, of just basic education systems, do, have, do you have, have you seen any evidence or do you have any, uh, any feeling that is this taking at all? Is it, is it able to, um, you know, can anybody be they student, you know, you know, kid, uh, teenager, or even you know, or a community college student, you know, can anybody does this does does any of this stuff stick? No. Yeah, that's what I thought. Beth, Melissa. I mean, when you say does any of this stuff, I mean, what what is it that you mean by stuff? Do you mean the content or do you mean the format? Content. The the, the oh, I think the content, format. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, we briefly, like I said, we touch on topics. You know, plus my kids are 12 and 13, so they have a crazy brain in the first place. Um, I That's why we attached a journal every week, because if they could even just relate to you and put how their isolation situation is, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. Because in middle school, it's not the content. I mean, obviously, math is going to be the biggest part of middle school, but the biggest part of middle school our kids need to be around kids to learn how to be a functioning person and they need to find their you know their group of other people they need to know that they're not the only person who might like this or not like this or you know they don't act a certain way right so that's the hardest part for my kids is they're really missing out on this time that they are they should be developing with others because it really is it's like i feel like i'm teaching them how to be a human being half the time yeah i was gonna say the kids need to just the kids need they need to be around each other how else are they going to discover like public enemy or the dead kennedys or something although i do say oh they're having i would say having a having having like the i think something there's something about having the journal uh as a as an externally reinforced thing that you know just from my own heavily ADD'd out background as like it seems like almost useful even as like like a 
like a like a like a beneficial thing like 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 something you'd you you'd get from CBT therapy or anything. Well, it's nice because in our journal we make sure it's just for one week. How are you exercising now? Because even the first week being in Raleigh, you know, the weather's been nice since you know February. So the first week everybody was home and I walked the dogs. All of a sudden, there's 50 more people walking dogs. You know, and so the kids it's asking them what are you guys doing now to get more exercise um or what's your favorite snack that you found out or have you been baking or cooking um or have you watched a new tv show i should watch you know because that's what kids relate to because you have to you know one of my questions one week was what are the new video games that i should be checking out and playing because that's in the forefront of what these kids do as middle schoolers because they're not going to get a job next year. You know, they're still young and the things that they worry about is I have a, I have a few extreme athletes and they can't get to the hockey rink now because the hockey rinks were closed. And so they're trying to do these workouts and we talk about what are some things they could do. You know, so I think it's just important for just even as adult because I know that I've been cooking and I've been doing all these little home renovations and so it's nice to like write it down when I did it to remember oh I could do these things and I did have time to do it yeah it's like every, you know maybe something maybe I should maybe myself I should have been keeping a plague journal yeah that's basically what it is I don't know I find my students are I, I think there's a real struggle because I mean I, I feel it too right because now I, it feels to me like I live at work Um, And so, you know, I'm getting the calls and the texts and the the emails constantly in a way that I didn't when I went to campus, which is kind of interesting. Um, So there's no, you know, there's no real dividing line between this world and that world. And I know for my students, right, like, I mean, there are advantages in the sense that, like, they're not having to try to find childcare or, you know, juggle scheduling or transportation in the same way. But they also lose... Um, you know, that ability to walk away from all of those responsibilities at home to focus on school. And I see that especially with my students who have children, um, especially like the younger moms. Um, I think they really loved being able to come to campus and like walk into a classroom on their own and interact with other adults who are, you know, experiencing similar things. And they've really, they've lost that during this time. And so it's all, you know, it's all mixed together and they're, you know, running after kids and trying to do school and checking on lunch and um, like so many different things. And um, yeah, I think it's pretty rough. I have, I have one guy who um, he, he checks into class from his bathroom. Like it's clear that he's sitting. Well, there's no one. I'm sure that there's yeah. no one else quiet in his house. Well, you know, nice. and it just from their bathroom too. You know, they got yeah. their shower whiteboard. Yeah, and like when he starts, you know, when I see him start like turning off his video, I know it's like oh, it must be time for everyone to take a break so they can use the restroom at his house, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it's 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 pretty intense, you know, and um, yeah, uh, I don't love it. I don't. I really, really, really don't love it, and I don't feel that any of this is um, fair to these students who are working so hard, and um, you know, in some cases, spending a great deal of money. Um, yeah, I just don't. It's not the best. <laughs> yeah, it is not ideal. 
Derek? I don't love it for me because I'm a people person and I go from being used to talking all day and interacting and saying, you know, oh, I love your new braces. Oh, look at your glasses. You know, like awkward teen thing. And then now I'm at home with two small dogs and a roommate and I'm just not talking as much. And I can tell that it affects me a ton because I'm not around all those people. Yeah. Derek? Uh, Where you were you saying know, also like on the topic of is, is the stuff, does the stuff take at all? Well, so online education has about a 40% efficacy and its efficacy declined as students entering it were no longer priorly educated in traditional education methods. Like I actually have studied this. It's, mm. it's kind of fascinating. Interesting. Huh. So the when we first looked at the first research indicates, for example, like Google searches were highly efficacious for finding knowledge were people who knew how to look up stuff in encyclopedias. They were testing on uh, (laughs) post-secondary students in the late 90s, early aughts who had, who knew how to, who knew how Boolean search terms worked even. That isn't the case anymore. Um, And so that, I have that. I also have the fact that like, one of the things that I've been dealing with, you know, you talked about the moral panic about screen time, and I'm actually one of the one of the moral panickers about that, even though I do blended learning and believe in technology and education, hmm. because um, there are direct correlations with declines in literacy scores and increased screen time. There just oh, yeah. is. Like, is this nationwide uh, or, or or worldwide it's, or? It's worldwide, hmm. actually, but it's particularly bad in the United States. Oh boy. But it is worldwide. Like so, the OECD's average literacy scores dropped across the board. Ours dropped actually at the same angle, but were from a much lower spot. Oh, man. Um, and it started in 2015. Um, so one of the things that you can notice is is not just screen time, but the nature of social media use. So like pre 2015, the predominant forms of social media were were kind of literacy based actually. So declining, declining rates, or declining levels, rather. Declining levels of literacy, and another thing that I can tell you from Utah's perspective is while our graduation rate has actually gone up, and the national graduation rate has gone up, college remediation needs have actually increased in proportion to the graduation rate, which indicates that there really hasn't been an increase of learning. We just are passing kids, and yeah. which... which I'm not necessarily even against if we were honest about it, like, but what that actually ends up doing is that actually puts the cost of certain parts of education on the kid themselves as an adult. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what we see with so many of our students who come to us straight out of high school and nowhere near ready for even, you know, the Uh most basic college level work, like unable to string a paragraph together. Yeah. But they graduate, you know, and then they're shocked because, but I graduated from high school. (laughs) Like everybody said I did great, you know? Um, Yeah. And then exactly. We get into that like remedial piece and depending on the student's background, I mean, certainly, well, what happens with native speakers, I think there's a lot of, anger about it actually yeah. yeah they realize it when they get when they get into into high school and i remember one of the things that ap that i keep on talking with my ap students about is how their education is failing them um and, and it's funny because they read me as a conservative and i'm like a 
raging Marxist, but yeah. um, but it's it's because uh, you know this has actually kind of accelerated that in a lot of ways. The the inequity problem has gotten a lot worse. Um, so. Uh, in my district, the, the 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 schools closer to the to the tech belt up, you know, around Sandy, out further out of Salt Lake, they're doing fine. Like, but we we are we we have a transition a transitional population, um, and so there's an extreme gap in my in my kids, and you can just see it all the way through. But even some of my better kids can barely punctuate a sentence. Hmm. So oh, it's it's the text talk. That's what right. everything every get is text talk. These you know I I know that I have middle schoolers, but I've taught every grade from six through seniors, and it is all of them. It, it's that very quick, and they write papers. and And I said, "Is this not your name? Why is your first letter not capitalized?" Oh. You know, like they can't be bothered to capitalize basic proper nouns, you know, or use basic punctuation. Um, and but part of that problem is, you know, we've taken grammar out of most of the curriculum. Um, but I know, I know. Well, we, Jeremy and I grew up with having, you know, grammar in our face every day. But yeah, it's it's a huge issue with. They want to text everything to you. If they write you a paper, if I ask my kids to write me, you know, three paragraphs, it, they they're like, "What? What do you mean I have to write that much?" You know, and it, they want to. It basically they want to get to you. They want to message it. They want to text it. That's their style of writing. Yeah, and and so originally I think this was based off A nine norms for those of people who remember that, but. Now it's really it's really a cultural discourse pattern, but the problem is going to be that that cultural discourse pattern is going to be held against them later on. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I can say that you know I can take a descriptivist approach to grammar and say that this is valid, but I know that it's going to be used to alleviate a lot of the kids who do not pl- learn to play the game from right. a job market and an education market, and. There is also evidence about like the inability to structure a sentence being related to the inability to the inability to think clearly. Like, yes. it, well, that's uh, who was it? Someone I can't remember. Somebody was saying that um, I don't mean, it might even been have been like George Lakoff that uh, language is thought manifest or something like that. But it's also. Um, but I'm just thinking of because like, I can remember just you know having I got online or rather I got a modem in the the uh, in 1990. And uh, but it but I but I never got so I was you know fairly I guess early access whatnot but I never even like when I got to I, I got to Ann Arbor and got internet access um, in '94 but like I never did AIM until the 2000s and it's, so at one point it's 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 like even before like. I saw I saw like the, the punctuation thing going away because at some point like aim speak became hegemonic and then it just kind of like slurred together with yeah with the uh, the alpha with like the with the with the the a nine um, God what would, you, what would you call it pre smartphone with the you know the alpha nine texting format to kind of get this like even uh, you know slurry thing and then now it's <laughs> now it's just making me think of some sort of um, like it's like you know of like some, like some eerie, uh, like like a like now we're we're living in a in like a, in a Sam Delaney story where like in the far flung you know post apoc future Earth where there where everybody just speaks in this kind of like kind of degraded uh, tech aim speak patois to each other. 
because of the well, I mean, yeah, it, or or Orwellian doublespeak because the simplicity of the language is easily manipulated. But like that too. But you know, I mean, like that. Those trends are not accelerated by this. That was already a thing. Hmm. What what I'm finding difficult is like giving meaningful feedback on every one of these. They, every one of these writing issues is actually overwhelming to the point that it just doesn't happen and so we reduce it back into a specific rubric item which means that the students never get a gestalt picture of the situation now I happen to actually like I know writing and pedagogy theory really well you know it's one of the things I do for my job Right. and so um, there, the, 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 the removal of grammar from the instruction was actually based on the fact that there are studies done in the 90s that indicated that grammar, direct grammar instruction had no relationship to writing ability in only native speakers. I'm going to actually put that big asterisk there um, because it was picked up from, from general discourse patterns. Increasingly, however, because of the internet, that's now a class stratified and race stratified thing mm. in such a way that like people really communicate radically differently depending on what social class they're in. And you almost have to treat it. I actually use ELL and ESL tactics with a lot of my native speaking students now to treat to teach them how to do class code switching. And that's much harder to do online. Um, yeah. <laughs> the um, that's that's the uh, I guess that's the uh, that is one of the in- also for an interesting result of like learning these well getting a getting a, a well was this more of a uh, I'm guessing I'm guessing these are kind of like you know you these are indications you had, had earlier and just but having this be be like all online all the time kind of really uh, really hit those hard home yeah um but I mean that part that's a large part of it a large part of it is um. Is also like you know since I'm since we're all since it's there's been massive executive function declines even amongst adults like when I say this I'm not even like 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 attacking the youth like you've seen executive function declines in every age quartile yep so what that means is like nobody has a long attention span anymore um, I don't of course yeah. never, never really you did. never did right you know. <laughs> Um, so we break the, so when I started teaching, when I was taught in the nineties, teachers were told that the most of the student can probably handle at my age range was probably about 30 minutes without a subject change or an activity change. Um, the, when I started teaching that, we were talking about that in terms of 15 minute chunking. Now we're talking about it in terms of five minute chunking. Um, I think because... Because the dopamine refresh stuff is so, and and with online it's even more important because I can do tricks in person to like modulate things, to include little activities, have have movement, to and all that to where I don't like can can look like I'm changing my lecture or whatever, but I'm right. really just tricking them into doing something at a different modality and then like getting them back in. Um, I can't do that online, and so. There does seem to be like diminished capacity, and yet a lot of stuff that we do when you convert it to online stuff, it's like here, here's Macbeth, watch it. <laughs> but it has uh, it, it has Fassbender in it, and it's hyperviolent. Or no, that's that's rated R. I can't show that. One. Oh, and I guess you, and I guess the uh, the I guess the yeah the the Polanski John Finch version is uh, right out too. No, but, uh, wrong. <laughs> you know, actually, the only version of of Macbeth I can show that's not at just a film stage production is the Patrick Stewart one. Really? Wow. Yeah. That can never be. Who can impress the forest? Bid the tree unfix his earthbound root. Sweet. Bones. Good. 
rebellion's head rise never till the wood of Burnham rise and our high place like men shall live the lease of nature and yet my heart throbs to know one thing more shall Banquo's issue ever reign in this kingdom seek to know no more I will be satisfied deny me and an eternal curse light on you let me know all the others are rated RPG 13 I live in Mormonlandia man like I'm oh that's true like, it's even more conservative than I lived in the South, and they get mad about different things. So. <laughs> what I'm wondering, with, well, with all the the massive, well, you know, the massively listed limitations of this format, because I know for my for my, my own self, like, um, I mean, for years trying to, like, I never, I think uh, when I was in high school in, in, uh, in the early 90s, the, they were experimenting with... I guess a form of like satellite powered closed circuit distance learning where like you could take like, you know, um, mm-hmm. it was in like Jap, you could take Japanese, for example. There were certain languages, uh, right. that, that were beamed in. Um, but at least you were in, you know, you were in a group situation sitting in a classroom, even though you were staring at a screen, at the screen on the, uh, on the AV cart rather than, uh, you know, on a, um, on like you know on a smaller like on you know a desktop computer or on your phone or something, but that, it's that uh, really popular uh, sign language became the most popular mm-hmm. class. Uh, it was countywide, and they offered languages that you didn't have. They would offer math higher lap higher um, math classes that you didn't always have because like the school that I taught in, um, the first one they didn't have. Uh, very high math classes so the kids would have to take that online um, that district thing and what became the most popular class out of so many schools was the sign language class surprisingly hmm. and, but one of the things that I was wondering is giving all, all of the all the drawbacks what happens when you have I want to. I, when I, well, I guess it's probably just an increasing number of like power holders, like everybody, you know, everybody from like like Cuomo to Bill Gates, who are trying to, you know, trying to push more and more online learning for either because they're like tech fetishists or because because yeah, Cuomo's a schmuck who wants to destroy the teachers unions or both. Like, um, I guess what happens when like the the, the stuff you know it's. The, it's at some point like what are, where, when the obvious drawback you know like how bad do the drawbacks have to be to kind of interrupt their kind of uh, you know full steam ahead approach when it's a drain on the economy is how bad it has to be and by that I mean because we're mostly being used as a as a way to regulate entrance into the economic sector like this is my hyper cynical Marxist part coming out this is not my teacher my teacher coming out but that's right. what will cause it um, because like. Education is a labor-intensive thing. It's not something you can really cut money on. And we have administrative creep, creep and grab. Right. Like, like, I mean, how else do you explain the fact that, like, over the past decade, teacher pay has stagnated or gone down in real terms? Ninety-one percent of all the of all money that goes into education goes in the personnel. Yet the cost to educate a student has gone up three hundred percent even in a public school. Where is that money going? It's going into administrative capture. Yeah. Like how many more how many more, you know, like instructional coaches do we have now? And I, I like instructional coaches. They're useful, but like 
My school has three part-timers that are teachers. A lot of schools have three who are full-time and not teachers and full 60K salaries. Like, so... It's very frustrating because we have one. We had one the last two years. And I... Like our staff joke was that her job was to make nice uh, bulletin boards because it, it's never help in the classroom. It's never, you know, even our uh, AIG teacher, she, she, if you say, hey, I've got some students that are really high level, what are some ideas? And then she'll send you like a menu board. And I'm just like, what? I could have figured, I knew about this 10 years ago. I, I need some help to really push my high kids higher. Um, and so you get all of these extra people on staff that are making more money than you and they're not doing anything except for going to meetings saying, oh, we're doing this. And it is so frustrating. So they actually took that instructional leader and made her a teacher this year because they couldn't qualify paying that much um, with losing student numbers. Um, so it almost felt good. Like I felt I felt like, yes, finally, you have to show, like, you have to do some work now, like the rest of us. Yeah, so during the last recession, uh, like, um, administration did not take the 20% the twenty growth cut. In fact, it grew. Funny that. Um, whereas, whereas teaching, we lost, like, 15 to 20% of our workforce. That's probably going to happen again, and technology has been a way to try to do this. The, the problem, however, is that... Um, the technology was originally used with highly innovative, like private schools. I, I, I used to work for them. I know. Um, we they're actually moving away from from it even right now. Um, so you, you like they're providing their kids with like traditional books and stuff. We don't have the resources to do that. Like we just have to find whatever text we can find online and give it to them. And yeah, we don't uh, have a, we haven't had a new textbook in I mean eight years or more. You just kind of grab. I just like said, said, how much of this is just seeing the um, the waves of boutique consumerism and automation finally hit education where it, at a certain point it goes once the uh, you know once everybody had a baseline of uh, baseline of like machine made goods and and foods and whatnot then all of a, then all of a, then all of a sudden like the real um, the the luxury item was the was a return to like the handcrafted artisanal like artisanal baked you know food stuff or or you know handcrafted stuff now you know you take that whole stuff you know bespoke creations like that whole thing now being transferred over to education where um the what was originally like the, like the high-tech automated version which was re- originally sold to you know kind of like grabbed stomp to by the uh by rich folks now just gets shoved off into not so rich folks and only and now only like you know um Specialized person-to-person interaction becomes the luxury, uh, the luxury thing. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it, but I also think the fact that it's being forced on the to poor people is because it's a cost-cutting mechanism, and people can make money off of it. It's you right. can't really make money off teachers. Like, we cost what we cost. We don't produce a commodity that which you can exploit us for. Mm. So, like, like you know, you can drive our wages up or down. But there's a reason why. Most private schools are heavily endowed because trying to operate a for-profit private school is a is a way to lose money. The only way to do it is credit scams. Like, I mean, I mean, the DeVos scandal should illustrate that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, online. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You can go ahead. It's fine. I was just gonna say, I can online learning for me right now 
it, it's 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 very easy because I can contact with kids. I can message all of my children in a day and be done in like an hour or two, you know, and get through their work. Um, and I think we have proposed calendars coming up next year that the board has to approve. But in those days, they already have scheduled like remote learning days. So for the week of Thanksgiving, for example, we already get off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We've always gotten those three days off for Thanksgiving. Well, now they are calling Monday and Tuesday remote learning days. So the kids are at home, but I, the teachers are still required to be at school, but it's going to be online learning those days. So they're doing some strange new calendar um, to already add in some of those days. So yeah. basically, what's, you know, when we start school, the first week of school is going to literally be me logging all of my kids onto Google Classroom showing them how to use like vocabulary showing them how to use different online games to study and and then learning how to use google classroom you know like a reminder this is how you turn something in this is how you message me and that's what's going to be the first week or two of school i feel like every year now is going to be solely what's your login how do you get online do you have a computer at home so we have to we know if we need to get you one like, that's what's going to be at school now for us, I think. Great. Yeah. So we're having a similar trend. Um, we teach more and more basic technological literacy. And the other thing that was assumed in a lot of this early research is technological literacy, like how to type, would was common. It's not. Like, no. Like, kids do not know how to type. Um, so, I well, mean, and but, adults, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, yeah, my, it's the same thing. My adult students, they, they did not come from backgrounds where they had computers in the home for the most part or their, you know, their education has been interrupted or whatever. And so, yeah, that's, I mean, when you talked about um, that, you know, first two weeks, just getting everyone oriented to the computer, that sounds mm -hmm. like heaven because we have to jump right in and start teaching content, right? And like mm. there's... And I've taught, I've taught our intro to technology classes for our ESL students. They are intense and they, they only work because I walk around the computer lab and sit down next to them. Like sometimes right. I literally have to put my hand over their hand on the mouse to just like even do those really super basic, like right click and scrolling and those kinds of things. And, um, we didn't have any of that this term. We just jumped right in, and there's been nothing uh, built in for next term either. And um, and that's, I mean, I think that's why we lost some students. They didn't feel confident in their, their tech skills, and they didn't want to spend money, you know, screwing around and, uh, yeah, fighting with computer stuff. So it, it is a barrier. It's a barrier for a lot of students. I know in my department, they're pretty excited about the idea of going online so that we can bring in students outside of our geographic area as our enrollment declines because mm. of forces far beyond our control. Um, and, you know, I'm getting on board. I'm going to do the Blackboard training this summer. And, you know, because, I'm, you know, I'm a part-timer. I need every, every little boost I can get in terms yeah. of holding on to yeah. my job. But um, I don't like it. And I don't think it's best for students. And I think it's all really hard on teachers, too. I mean, I don't know what it's like for the rest of you. But, I mean, when I talk to my colleagues, we all feel like we're letting our students down. Oh, yeah. 
you, you and just feel bad because really you shitty way to go to work, right? Yeah, like you're not being a teacher to become famous and make all of this money. You know, I'm like, I actually you like, I, if, good job. I know I tell my kids, I'm like, I actually like being around you. Um, I said, so you might hate me, but we are going to get through this together and you're going to learn this and you're going to become a better person, whether you like it or not. Um, I was going to say like, Derek, how did you guys figure out what about your families that don't have, that didn't have any computer or laptop or anything at home? What did you guys do for that? So we had classroom sets of Chromebooks and we basically loaned them out to students and who were at need. Um, but you know, we'll see if we'll get them back. Um, and there, uh, there's a variety of issues with that. I mean, when we first tried to do online learning, they were trying to still. Some of the districts here were trying to still make teachers go into the building, <laughs> ooh, um, so that they could control what we did. And I was just like, "Well, that's Yikes. that's nutty." Um, <laughs> Not without health coverage. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, uh, to be, f- I mean, I have okay health coverage, although teacher health coverage is not what it used to be. But, mm. but, um, but, yeah, God, as an adjunct, I don't even know what I, I've been an adjunct. It was awful, and I don't even know what I would do. So, um, I got on my union steering committee. That's what I did. So, hopefully, maybe, maybe some things will change. Part time unions, though, whew, <laughs> they're hard. Yeah, I mean, unions in a in a state. I, I'm I'm a I'm a rep for my union, and unions in my state are. Whew, um, let's just say that they're very they're very worried about losing their ability to have good relationships with who they bargain with right now. So they're oh being boy. kind of quiet. Um, we're we're going to have between a five and fifteen percent budget cut on top of this, and we're already the. Uh. And, and you know, I think uh, Georgia's having a fifteen percent. Michigan's having up to twenty five percent. So I mean, and and we should be we should expect this. But I don't know how. I mean, the other reason about the technology may be, it may have to happen because we didn't recover the even in the good years. And when you finally saw teacher labor activism pick up, we didn't recover the lost teacher. We have never recovered those those staff members. And so, you know, some people like me came back to the country. I mean, I, you know, like I left the country and said I wouldn't teach anymore in the United States. But like, um, but in general, most people didn't come back. And so if we go through another round of this, if, when things go back to normal, we will not have the staff to man schools the way they want them manned. I mean, and in my state, we're already. I mean, the average classroom in 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 uh, the Salt Lake Valley is something like forty-two students. Jesus, Oof. so it's crazy. Well, I mean, even my university that I went to, they don't even have a teaching program anymore. So I started college in '99, uh, and their biggest, their two biggest programs was nursing and teaching. And now they don't. They had built like. They had to build a whole new section to the university just for the teaching college because it was in such a high demand. They had an overwhelming number of people. Well, now they don't have the college anymore. They've officially, they don't take any teaching program anymore um, when that was one of their biggest programs. So, you know, in just those few, you know, it's less than 20 years. All of a sudden, there's so many fewer teachers out there. Um, and it's be, and then we also have a huge, especially in North Carolina, where the pay is not great. You know, I work three jobs a day. I teach online. I do a regular school and I coach. Um, and I also work for a website writing questions on novels. So 
to get like what I would normally make in Michigan, I've had to supplement with multiple jobs. Um, but there's just so many fewer teachers out there. And colleges now are feeling that effect. Yeah. I mean, I get paid pretty well for a teacher because I have a terminal, like a terminal degree. Um, although I'm not, you know, I have an MFA and, and like a couple of master's degrees. But, um, but even I, like, I'm barely, I'm barely above median income for the area. And that's with 15 years experience. So like, yeah, they don't even pay for, so they don't pay for your master's anymore. I came to, I got my master's my first couple of years teaching. So when I came to North Carolina, I had to jump a few hoops for them to pay me for having my master's. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think within the last four years, if you get your master's, they're not going to pay you any more for it, but they will pay you more if you are nationally board certified. That is what they have deemed being like the mega to them is if you are board certified, then you'll get your increase in pay. Um, But if you get your master's in the subject, you don't get paid for it. Right. That was a Bill Gates inspired reform, by the way. No oh boy. Ah. Um, he in the in the aughts, he was passing around that um, degree um, degrees do not have any effect on teacher efficacy without looking at what the degrees were in at all. Um, <laughs> Schmuck dropped like and, what? Almost a, f- a full bill, uh, a full bundo on that stupid um that stupid charter school uh, study slash initiative slash research thing and found out, oh, yeah, it turns out this doesn't actually work. Well, I mean, charter schools, uh, having taught at a charter school as opposed to teaching at a highly controlled public school, it is a better teaching experience sometimes. But the, it, there's a lot of times the, the, the social welfare of the child is actually slightly better taken up because it's not as regulated and we're more free. But they're also fiscal scams. I mean, one of the reasons I'm back teaching public school is because, like, I work for a school that, you know, we were doing interesting and innovative things, but we were we were run by by a Chinese private investor, local politician. I know there. It's you can you can own. I could start my own. I could start my LLC and own my own charter school and be the principal and it could all end up coming back to me if no one noticed uh you know who really owns it charter schools are popping up a lot by me right now um and the big thing with charter schools is they're not tested um so the kids they don't have to have like we have our end of year testing and everything like that well they don't have to do half of the tests that we have to do um and it just irks me that they get a lot of our money and so many of the charter schools, when you actually get into it, you know, they're saying, oh, we have all these students. Well, really, they have, you know, half the students they really have. Um, but a lot of them, you know, are so much of a scam. So it's hard for me because I have such a negative outlook on charter schools. With probably, well, I would say probably with good reason. But oh, by the way, yeah, Gideon, thanks for uh, thanks for all your time tonight. I had like two kind of two like two questions left that I of like two topics that I did want to hit while everybody was here. Um, again, it's related to. I guess this is this is this the, the I guess the, this next question is going to be like both on a short term thing like underneath you know current conditions, but also related to extending things out, especially if the, if they continue the push for more online. And that question is is with everything being spread apart and disembodied and atomized like this, especially you know <laughs> how do um, 
how do educators either organize or strike during this, or is that at all possible? It's not possible. No. Also, we're not we're not in a position to do that. Like yeah. like right now, um, um, when when we talk about organization strikes, are very effective when the economy is up. The economy is not up. Yeah. There's going to be too many scabbing conditions. Um, I mean, I don't want to say that organizing is hopeless. It's not. I mean, and like, t- but traditional striking it's just i don't know how you do it we could refuse to do paperwork and whatnot but a lot of that stuff is being waived right now anyway so yeah um i'm gonna i I predict we'll see testing requirements drop in a lot of states because a lot of states are just they're becoming too expensive um uh utah's already like made them optional so for like so while we live in a state where charter schools are tested like the other schools eight like Depending on your school, between forty and eighty percent of the population doesn't do, can opt out because our state law is actually a violation of federal law. Um, wow. So, 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 so you know, but I think a lot of those NCLB national national pressures are actually just going to drop, hmm. um, and that'll be good for teaching, but it's not going to happen for good reasons. I, I think like we we won't be able to figure out the logistics of it. I think you're going to see more and more colleges quit caring about the ACT and SAT, but I also mm-hmm. think we're going to see a lot of colleges close. So oh, definitely. I mean, because they're going to be desperate. I think colleges are going to be so desperate um, for kids and for the money. Um, now that kids are like, if I can't have the regular college experience, I'm not going. You know, and they're not Community getting that colleges money. could do well. <laughs> um, I'm hearing true. that a lot that community colleges are, you know, expecting a boom in the fall. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that affects my student population, but you know, overall. But I don't know that question about striking. Like, I, I mean, in my world, right, as adjunct faculty with no, you know, I only have a job for 12 weeks at a time. Yeah, and. Um, and I mean, again, there's that that issue of you know a part-time union, which is weak because because we don't you know part-timers don't we don't even you know we all have different jobs, we all work different places, um, we don't really deal with each other in the real world. I mean, there's just um, we don't we don't have the strength to do that. I mean, I I think a lot. I mean, one of this, these huge issues that I have is like you can't ask me to go back to teaching on campus if you won't provide me health coverage, right? But if I, you know, if I make a stand about that, they'll be like, okay, see ya, we'll hire someone else. All right. Um, so that is a, that's a situation. I mean, the, the community colleges I know of that could do that, um, that, that have stronger unions, um, they have combined full and part-time faculty unions, and they're much stronger, and they accomplish a lot more uh, for their teachers. So, Yeah. I can't. I can't even. Um, yeah, I can't gotcha. imagine a strike at my college. I really can't. Yeah, and I can. And I guess last thing that I had I was <laughs> well, it, in, well, there was just something earlier about in terms, especially in terms of. Um, I guess this is ultimately an infrastructure uh, question because of because like Bethy, like you'd said that because like you told me before about how they just um, uh, they just what was it to make sure that every kid had a computing device. They had, you know, distributing Chromebooks for everybody. It, we're, we're, it's alternating, like, we're returning to, like, 
you know, like rural education problems from like the mid 19th century mixed with like the TVA in the 30s of like dealing with rural uh, electrification of of the fact that like plenty of places don't have don't have signal or, you know, or plenty, you know, plenty in where it's now where it's turns out that without, you know, without constant robust Internet, like, for example, today, um, my partner, uh, my partner, Rachel, like our heart, our, you know, Comcast died a couple times during the day. And she's working from home most of the time, which means, mm-hmm. uh, which cuts, which cuts her off. So, um, there was always the thing, the one, the one little weird little factoid that I remember reading, hearing about some years ago that turns out, what was it, that McDonald's wound up being, is, was like the national, was like the national number one provider of Wi-Fi for people. Sure. Cause it was just the well, most, sure. the most people. And so, well, now, I mean, think about, think about every, every educator in this country providing free internet for our institutions right yeah like they couldn't function without us paying our comcast bill and uh yeah i think about that a lot <laughs> yeah actually. we are supplementing like one of the things i've said to my union is like we're supplementing this like i don't even have a school provided computer for this and they have access to my personal information by accessing stuff on my on my home computer although i limit which browser i use because of that um, and, you know, I trust my admin, actually. I really like my admin, which is rare in the, my history of teaching. So wow. I can't complain about that. I would say, yeah, um, uh, kids, um, when, you, when you get yourself a professional job, make friends with the IT people as, as, as quickly as possible, as well as you can. Trust me not, on this. <laughs> but not at a public school, because they don't usually know that much. But oh. um, uh, Mine's my librarian. That's my best friend at school. <laughs> Who is also our tech person because they won't, it's because it's countywide. Each school doesn't really have, she's like the mid tech person slash librarian. And then you also have to call the county. But what they've done, like for us, is I had to call my homeroom, call everyone, leave a message, or if they answered. And um, what did I have to star? Is it star six, seven or whatever? So, you know, they don't have my phone number and say, do you have a device of any kind? Is it a phone? Is it a laptop? And I had to contact every kid, and then they uh, they got Chromebooks out to kid, but we all know the problem with so many of those basic Chromebooks that, you know, don't work so well. And then the school was giving out hotspots for the families who don't have um, uh, the Internet. And then, but luckily, my school, this year, every teacher got a new laptop. So... We had just gotten our new laptops, I think, two weeks before everything happened. So that was the benefit in all of this is that I at least have that laptop, which is a lot better than my home laptop that I was using um, to work with. Yeah. So, yeah, things are um, things aren't looking great right now. If I um, if as a teacher, there are days where I think I might just leave the profession. So, you know, I haven't made that call yet i'll still be working for a few more years because like what other job am i going to do in the united states right now but um and i do feel privileged to have a job at all yeah absolutely. <laughs> i don't but, yeah i would say i i got laid uh my my, con- my i got laid off effectively within my contract ended five days before christmas one big long winter break for me uh, yeah i think last time we talked jeremy you just got laid off it's like that's one of the things about the uh, the current crisis is that top to bottom 
um, <laughs> be it uh, dodgy internet and dropped you know dropped uh, Zoom calls to say what bridges collapsing or water pipes breaking or whatever it's like yeah you know infrastructure top to bottom on this I mean not even this country I would say the continent is um, you know that uh, that. You know that veil has been ripped away, and kind of to show exactly how dodgy the entire edifice is. Of you know, but I guess what can, you know, what can you do? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's like one. I mean, one of the things is here in Utah. Two weeks in, we had a five point seven magnitude earthquake. Um, oh my gosh! So you know, we we've had all kinds of system failures. Um. <laughs> uh. So you know, but um. We're actually doing – like, our, our infrastructure is actually fairly good out here. Um, it's a newer city. Um, we were flush with money. I mean, like, if I was in Macon, I have no idea what they'd be doing. Um, so, you know, it's – but that's all – you know, that's – the thing is, we it took us so long to recover from the last recession – and we didn't use it for a lot of these things, and now we're back in one. And while this one may be a V-shaped, which I doubt, or an L-shaped, or it may just be, you know, a plummet, who knows? Yeah. Um, I, I got no idea, honestly. We had a moment to do a lot of this stuff, and that moment's actually kind of closed for a while. Uh, also, I mean, a, a, a lot of the teachers' unions are kind of, they're going to be backed against the wall. I don't know what bargaining chips they're going to really have. And the states, I mean, particularly because of the way we fund education, and the, the states with ballot budgets amendments and stuff, they're not going to have money. Yeah. Like, they, they, like, I don't, well, like, I don't know what they can do. Yeah, I mean, we're the county, being having the capital and being the largest county, because Charlotte used to be the biggest county, but now we've just grown so much. Um, you know, it is nice where, I mean, everything is new in the city. There is a ton of money pouring into the city right now. Um, but it's not, and they're building, we get like four new schools every two years or so, you know what I mean? In the County alone, they're just building, building, building. Um, but the problem is, is they just don't have enough for what everybody needs, you know? So like in my classroom, I have 10 laptops and if all 10 work for one core, great. Cause they're probably not all going to work for the next core, you know? So like we have money coming into our County because of all the huge tech industries, but it's not getting any more for our schools. Um, and so that's all just, it's just being such a big problem for us. And I'm even in, you know, a, a nicer area um, where my school has a lot of more opportunities for kids than other schools have. So I'm super fortunate um, to be at the school that I'm at. Uh, because if you tell, you know, if I told somebody where I'm teaching, they're like, oh, wow, what it's like to be there. And we still have where we didn't have heat for the last two years, you know, and because our whole heating system broke and it was like 40 in school and, you know, we don't have enough technology. So it's just it's just it's frustrating because it just doesn't get better. That's the hard thing about teaching is that you just keep pushing and pushing and you're just kind of always going against that wave coming down at you. So it's really like how you said, Derek, that you're like, I don't know if I'm going to keep teaching. This is going to end up year 16 for me. And But the hard thing is, is I don't know what else I would do because like this is all I know and I love it. You know, <laughs> I love it. This is what I do. Um, the only thing that's I can hope is us. to be able I know it. that's the only thing, you know, I taught PE last year, which was great. 
Um, so hopefully I can get back into the PE department, you know, and retire out that way. But it's just frustrating being a teacher because you're like, I love it. I want to be here for the kids. But, you know, if you, like how Jeremy, you said, if you were to strike, everybody lashes out against you because they're like, well, how could you not be at work? Now all of these children don't get fed because, you you know, school's closed. And you're like, no, we're trying to make it better. Um, but it's kind of like you're always the villain, which is right. odd. Well, I mean, one of the things is uh, it's so frustrating about the U.S. is we put all of our social services for kids in the schools. And so a situation like this really messes things up. Now, yeah. we've been providing food. Like, we literally right. set the food out at three elementary schools and just, like, say, if, if you're under 18, come at it. We're not even asking you to prove that you're a free and reduced lunch anymore. Oh, but, yeah, that's um, open for us, too. They they just go to, there's, like, food sites, right. like, throughout the county. Yeah, I'm... Yeah, I'm different schools, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm in the process of gonna... I'm gonna help, uh, help out at a local... at a local site, uh, at, the, at a local uh, mutual aid hub, uh, they're gonna they're gonna br- br- uh, kind of bring me in and help me shadow some people and, and either do like do supply runs or even cook starting on Wednesday. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's like it was like you know the, the phrase that come you know I just had to, just the phrase of like revolutionary pessimism just kind of came up in my mind, but it's like not even rush, not even revolutionary anymore. It's just kind of just pessimism. Like, or yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, we could do some of it. Um, we're going to have to do it with reduced staff in the future because we and we just are. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm worried about my support staff. I think, like, a lot of them are going to just get laid off. Um, and there isn't any jobs for them to go to, even, even in a place like Utah, which has a, for the United States right now, has a fairly okay economy. It's kind of, it's actually kind of like the area between Raleigh-Durham, like, our this Salt Lake Valley has become a tech hub because, you know, California's too expensive. Even, even like, Oregon's gotten too expensive, so people are going further and further inland. But um, Yeah, folks are heading to Boise. Yeah, they're heading to Boise and SLC. So it's... Uh, and actually, um, our housing prices have gone up so much from, from the California thing, which is, a, which is a, one of the reasons I think we're only cutting 5 to 15%. Um that it's actually slowing our economy down because we can't get the work. We could w- when things were hotter, we couldn't get the workers in here to to uh, because there's just not enough housing for them. And like like uh, you know, low income housing here is designed for for a family of four making at least sixty k. That's what counts as low income, which is you know about the median income. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I was to say plus the uh, the thing you mentioned about states having balanced budgets, and uh, yeah. what is the one th- what will what is, you know as we have seen this week, what is more likely going to be the one thing that will never ever 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 get cut in a in a metropolitan budget or a, or a uh, or a state budget. Mm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, is, I, well, I, the other thing that I can't get that I don't understand why I can't get people more mad at actually is like. There's all this anger at teachers, but there's no anger at these bloated administration. Like, like, and it, like, our, we our district administration buildings are bigger than our schools. Like, they started and- to cut ours in the last two years because they started to realize we had multiple buildings of all of this administration, and we've had all these issues with teacher pay. And so, one of the girls that teaches with me actually, she was in central office. And she left two years ago because she saw the writing on the wall because they started laying off because Mm -hmm. the public was so outraged at the number 
of all of these office workers and they're like well what why is there so many like who are all these people what are they actually doing um so luckily they started skimming skimming trimming the fat a little bit on that but it's still it's so many it's so many people that i'm like what is your job you sit here all day this is like what are you doing you get paid so much money there's a book out there that I'm, that Derek, you know about, but Beth and Melissa, I'm going to suggest to you. Um, have you ever heard of an author named David Graeber? Yes, but uh, I don't know why. Uh, uh, G-R-A-E-B-E-R. He is an American, uh, not paleontologist, um, American professor at the London School of Economics. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything uh, that he says or his uh, his particular tendency, shall we say. But he he did write a book, um, I think two years ago now, called Bullshit Jobs. That actually, because he he started wondering why, wondering why, like even like UK education costs started going up, you know, which is a whole Tony Blair related thing, but it's another story. And then st- st- realized that it had to do with just university administration bloat, and then he just it investigated it from there. Like Derek, have you ever talked to the guy? Graber or- online back when this book deck came out, but not about useless jobs. I think. You know, I, I do wonder about this this education book capture. It's talked about a lot in higher ed, but people have not realized how extensive it is in, in, in secondary and lower and how much it drains things. And it, it, it accelerated during the NCLB days, like, massively. I remember, like, when they were mandating all these consultants and stuff, and we were having, and we were having to cut teacher pay and then hire people who made what, three people, like, three teachers to come in and, like, spend an hour with 20 teachers and tell them how much they sucked. And then, like, I mean, that's when I quit teaching the first time. And yeah, went abroad and when I became a professor. So, like, like, um, I, I see this, I, I can see this, like, hopefully a lot of, uh, hopefully more states realize this is going on. Um, as much as I don't want, I don't want even them to lose their jobs, but, like, it's such a, like, we can't cut the, the teaching staff much more. Like, we just, we can't do this job, even, even online. Well, I think a lot of people think we can do this online, but, like, our grading loads and commentary loads are too high. Like, I can't, I can't give meaningful commentary to 350 students. Yeah. Like, there's no way. It's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like with many things, it's like at some point, yeah, no, the idea of, the ideal of scale, uh, these things, how these things scale up never occurs to people. All right. Well, this that was. I, I want to thank you all again for this uh, great talk and kind of refreshing thing. And thanks for spending some time on a Friday night. Um, I guess wrapping up. Is there any? Uh, are there any like final points? Any final points that you really you really want to make that of like takeaways for you know? I guess whoever uh, you know whoever will be hearing this that I can badger into listening to. I guess and or and, I feel like for. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I feel like for me, like with all this online learning and whatever's going to happen next year, I, I feel like teachers need to realize like the biggest part that they can do is try to make some connections with the kids. Um, you know, like obviously your content is important, but what's more important is like, how is that kid doing? Contacting just a little note, a little message um, and doing that like one-on-one check-in with the kid for my sake at least in middle school because that's such a big part of their development um and they need it because parents kind of say oh they're fine they can go play video games they can go hang out with their friends 
they're 13, they're 14. They don't need all this extra, you know, coddling and different stuff. But for me, like with this online teaching, I think the biggest impact I've made is commenting to my kids, you know, oh, how's your dance lessons going? Because I know, you know, you're doing dance at home anymore. And like to make those little connections, I think are more important to my grade level than learning a fact about World War II because they're going to see that again. You know, it's different for other grades, but I know for me, just as middle schoolers, it's like the worst time for them because their brain is crazy. And it's, I think the biggest part of my job right now is just checking in on them. Yeah. You know, making sure they know I remember them and I notice. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. Semi relevant fact uh, our nephews are currently middle schoolers. Uh, attentive uh, listeners will have uh, remembered them from when I interviewed them for an episode that we did ta- just called Talking to Nephews About Fortnite uh, back in the summer. Uh, yeah. I would. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I would second something like that, actually. I think that student relations, like, um, there's this there's this researcher called Hattie who does the Hattie's uh, subject, like, um, effect fields. They're. I don't need to get into it, but of the things you can control, direct instruction um, and relationship with your students are the two things that have the highest payoff. Like your students will learn more if they feel comfortable around you and they like you, even if you're like me and kind of teach with a vague sense of Stockholm syndrome. Um, you know, <laughs> like, um, but like you know, if they like you and they work for you, they'll do more, and that's what people are going to remember. And that's one thing you lose in a lot of this online stuff is it's just harder to do. So, yeah. taking that effort is going to be, I think, as important as you know, because the kids are like if they if they resent the work, they're not going to do it. So. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> So simple as that. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. Some, I mean, somebody, someone must have come, already come up with like a you know like a, a sh- like a quarantine show either in pot or in YouTube form of just like trying to give away tips. Just to, uh, nothing like you know tips for teachers on how to increase buy-in or how to increase just basic uh, basic communication or something. But man, Lisa, anything for uh, uh, any final words from you? Well, I mean, I guess I would say that, you know, of course, we all understand why we've had to do this. And I think as educators, we have, you know, risen to the challenge. But I don't think we should ever forget that um, this is not ideal. You know, there there are people pushing to um, make online learning like the norm. Um, This is not ideal. It is not it's not equitable. Um, It's not effective. Um, and it's it is really quite counterproductive, I think, in terms of that most important piece of teaching, which is building relationships with your students. I mean, I know people are trying, right? But like right. this this screen is 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 a huge barrier, and I just think we need to be um, extremely vigilant about people who are trying to um, profit off this and and make it the norm because it, it it's just it's not it's not teaching. Yeah. All right, and uh, again, that uh, I think that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> anybody got? It's the end of a podcast. Anybody got anything to plug? <laughs> uh, I'm on a bunch of podcasts because that's my that's my side gig since everybody has one. Um, but uh, if if your listeners know me, they already know what they are, so I'll spare you. Yeah, I am not on a podcast. I just love listening to true crime podcasts. I am one of those people. <laughs> 
I wish I was more interested in true crime because I could probably retire from teaching if I was. But oh man, Dateline! <laughs> I can't get enough Dateline. I love Dateline. I love my favorite murder podcast. Uh, uh, I'm just happy if I can catch up with Amy Goodman on Democracy Now every day. Um, that's that's, that's <laughs> Excellent. Oh, it's nice to meet all of you. Yeah. Nice to meet you. You too, all of you. All right, I'm going to sign off. Thanks. All right. Well, again, thanks for all your thank, uh, thanks for your time and um, well, thanks you all for everything. And uh, yeah, just um, I'll let you know when I get finally get this thing posted. Hopefully sooner rather than later. But yeah, I want to uh, again really appreciate this. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah. Thank, thank you much. Bye. Okay. Good night. was fun all right jer i'm out of here all right bedtime for me uh, congratulations welcome to the world was that of, okay no that was just fine welcome to the world of podcasting good times yeah. i switched to my earbud because my phone was dying yeah that'll happen i've been watching the british baking show all day it, it's so soothing that's uh that is its uh prime uh that is its prime att- uh, attractive bit from what i've heard Oop, dropping yeah that. I need you to watch it. It's amazing. All right, tell Rachel I said hi. Yep, she went off to she she's heading off to a socially distance uh, Scrabble night. Ooh, I found that you can play online bingo, which is really fun. And thought of that. If you um, bingo baker, I believe is the website. Um, we did it for our staff get to get like Thursdays. We do like a thirsty Thursday. Um, and so, obviously, one person's asking the questions, and so it will, you know, whatever you, it will constantly generate new cards for you if you want it to, but you just put, you know, the names in, and um, it's actually a lot of fun. Okay. So, check that out if you have, you know, for any of your online games. Bingo Baker, I believe. Bingo Baker. Okay. Cool. All right. Well. Good uh, one. Yep. Uh, uh, talk to you this weekend or whenever.